Psalm 78 and commencing to read at verse 35. Psalm 78 and commencing to read at verse 35. We'll read these few verses together and then we're just going to still ourselves just for a short word of prayer just before we preach the word. Verse 35, it says, And they remembered that God was their rock and the high God their Redeemer. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues. For their heart was not right with God. That's a good text to take, wouldn't it? I wonder, is our heart right with God this morning? It says here in the 37th verse, For their heart was not right with him. Neither were they steadfast in his covenant, but he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquities and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. How often did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God. They limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. Let's bow just for a word of prayer this morning. Silence ourselves and still ourselves before God. If any of you dear ladies need to go out to the creche, there's a creche at the back, and there's facilities over in the barn, and if you need to do that during the meeting, there's no problem. Father, we just bow before thee again, and Lord, we have come to your word, and we have come, Lord, as a flock of thy people that are hungry for the bread of heaven. And we just pray now, dear Lord, that thou will come and speak, Lord, into every one of our hearts, preacher included. We pray, Lord, that in Jesus' name, that thou wilt infiltrate this hall. No, God, that thou wilt speak with words of power, of correction and instruction into every single one of our lives. We ask it in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen. One of the most well-known titles throughout the Word of God for, for the Lord is that of the Almighty. The Almighty. I'm sure there's many times whenever you've been praying, maybe at home or in a prayer meeting, and you've used that title concerning the Lord. He is the Almighty. Fifty-seven times throughout the Word of God you get that mighty title given to Him. Eli, you could say, as touching the Almighty, we cannot find Him out. He is excellent in power. You know, dear men and women, this morning, one of the lovely studies that you could occupy yourself with is going through the Word of God and finding the times when God demonstrated His power. Demonstrated His power time and time again. The Almighty, the El Shaddai. One of the translations of that title is the God who gives to His people His own power. I wonder, do you need power this morning? Power to live for God. Power in the family. Power in the workplace. 
power in your community? Well, he is the almighty, the all-sufficient one, the God who donates to his people his power. Time and time and time again, he demonstrated his power. In Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth just by the word of his power. I'm sure some of you have been standing on these lovely summer evenings gazing up into the stars above and the word of God says that he created them by his excellent power. All things were made by him and without him is nothing made that is made. The psalmist could say he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. You seen Germany the other week? A whole country thrown into disarray just because the rain fell. And yet the God of heaven is the one who threw the stars into their orbit. He's the one that keeps the galaxies in their place. He's the Almighty. He not only created the world by his power, he sustains it by the word of his power. Just the word of his power. I tell you, dear men and women, this morning, many of us as the children of God, we have forgotten the majesty and power of God. We've got our eyes onto our troubles and our storms and our situations, and we've forgotten the power of the El Shaddai, the Almighty One, who donates to his people his power. Mighty power creation. I'll tell you there's mighty power time and time again when he intervened in the history of Israel. You remember Joshua whenever he stood at Jericho? The walls were high, the walls were thick. And Joshua with his men walked around Jericho one time every day and on the seventh day seven times and they lifted their trumpets in the blue and the walls came down. The Almighty. The Almighty. I was thinking this morning of Gideon. Gideon, that man, went down against the Midianites with with 300 men. They hadn't a sword nor a spear. They went down with a bugle in their hand and a pitcher in the other and they broke the pitchers and blew the bugle. And God gave the victory. The Almighty. The one who is able to intervene. What an intervention on the day of Pentecost. You remember in the day of Pentecost? They were there. They were in the upper room, 120 of them, praying and seeking God. And it says there was a sound from heaven. Oh, would to God that we would hear it again. Would to God even in this meeting we would hear the sound from heaven. Would to God in our land again, we would hear the sound from heaven. What an intervention. His power was seen at creation. What about the power of God in salvation? You know, dear men and women this morning, I wonder, are you glad to be saved? I wonder this morning, is there many of us enjoying our walk with the Lord? I wonder, is there many of us can say like the psalmist, my cup runneth over? I wonder, is there many of us this morning, and we sing it, living on the mountain, underneath a cloudless sky? My dear friends, it's all right to sing it. But God wants to give us so much more than what we have. You'll remember what the Lord Jesus said, Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin. And no matter who you are in this meeting, no matter what sort of a background you have, No matter how many sins you may have committed, I want to tell you that there's power. There's power. Don't be singing on the prayer meeting nights. There's power. 
wonder-working power in the blood, the Almighty One. You know, I was thinking of the power of God that was displayed at the resurrection. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who on the third day rose again in majesty and power. And this was the cry of the Apostle Paul. He said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You know, dear men and women, this morning, one of the great plights in the church of Ulster is we have education, we have doctorates, and we have all of the, the knowledge of the scriptures. But we need power. We need power. We need that authority that comes from heaven. We need that unusual touch from God to be upon us. He's the Almighty One. He's the All-Sufficient One. And I want to tell you, He hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He could say to the prophet, I change not. I tell you, dear men and women, this morning, while the Lord is Almighty, and while He is all-powerful, and he is all as the power at his own disposable disposal in himself. I want to ask you a question. Why is it that we see so little of the power of God today? Do you ever ask yourself that question? Why is it whenever the one who is almighty and all sufficient, the one who created, the one who sustains, the one who can save, why is it that we see so little of his power demonstrated in our day today. You know, one of the saddest, most solemn truths that you will learn in the Word of God, and this is what I want to talk to you about this morning, that so often God is hindered from using His power. I want you to think about that. So often God is hindered from using His power and I believe this morning, even over this assembly, that God would love to break through on our left hand and on our right. That God would love to do something new in this our day and generation. But I want to tell you, dear men and women, while God is able and while God is willing, it is possible for God to be restricted. If you cast your eye to the 41st verse of this chapter, and this is my text this morning, the last few words of verse 41. It says, unlimited the Holy One of Israel. They limited the Holy One of Israel. And I want to talk to you this morning about limiting God. I want to talk to every single one of our hearts this morning about limiting God from using His mighty power in this, our day, and generation. You know that word limited here? In verse 41, it means to set a boundary mark. One of the old commentators said it was to draw a circle and to say to God, you can come this far, but no further. And I wonder, is there some in this meeting, and even as you listen to this message being preached, you have set boundaries in your life. Lord, I'll give you this area of my life, but I'll not give you this. Lord, you can take this area, but I'm not going to give you this area. And we have set boundaries for God, limitations. You know, we live in a world today where we hear a lot about restrictions. We hear it every day in the news. Every time you lift the paper, there's restrictions, restrictions. Talking about bringing in another lockdown, and they probably will. 
But I have never heard anyone in all of the 19 months of COVID-19 talking about the restrictions that are placed upon God. You know, we've been restricted and we didn't, we didn't like it. We didn't like it whenever we couldn't do what we wanted to do. We couldn't go where we wanted to go. And we were struggling and we were fighting within ourselves and we were going to stand against it. You know, dear men and women, the Almighty One, the One who created all things and sustains all things and knows all things, I want to tell you that He is restricted. Restricted from moving. That word limitations there is not only the word to set a boundary, it's also the word to grieve, to dishonor, and to wound. Now, I want you to listen to me this morning. I wonder, is there any area in your life or mine that is a grief to God? I wonder, is there any area of our life and things that we say or things that we watch or places where we go and we've put a restriction and limitation upon God that He cannot use us in the way that He would want to use us. That He cannot move in our day in the way that He would love to move. Maybe in your family. Maybe in your service. Maybe even in your own life. And God has been limited. You know, it doesn't say here that the world limited Him. The homosexuals didn't limit Him. The adulterers didn't limit him. The heathen didn't limit God. We read in this chapter that it was his people that limited him, his own redeemed people. And I say again, dear men and women, I preach this message to my heart all week. Is there any area of our life that has placed limitations upon God? Any areas of our life that have hindered him, grieved him, and dishonored him. Hindering him from saving. Hindering him from reviving. Hindering him from coming and moving in mighty power upon these 32 counties of Ireland. Something that is limiting God. Something that has put a boundary mark and said, Lord, you can come this far but no further. Let me ask you another question. In your own personal experience this morning, do you feel there's a restriction? Do you feel whenever you get down to pray, whenever you seek to go on with God, that there's a, there's a, there's a restriction there? You get so far. There's a boundary where God, He doesn't seem to come through the way that you've read about other men and women in the Scriptures and even biographies of older men. You wonder, how did they get so real with God? But I can't. Well, I want to tell you this. Many of us, even in this very hall this morning, have placed limitations and restrictions upon God. He's the living one. He's the loving one. But I want to tell you he's a limited one. To limit God. To limit him in all of his power. I say to you this morning, dear men and women, there's nothing as grievous as limiting him. Putting God into a box. Putting God into a circle and say, Lord, we're putting restrictions upon you. We're putting God into lockdown. Dear men and women, on this lovely summer Sunday morning, God is on lockdown. 
wasn't Boris Johnson put in there. It wasn't Michelle O'Neill put in there. It wasn't Arlene Foster that put him there. My, it could be this very preacher that's standing in front of you this morning, along with many of us in this hall. We have put God in lockdown. Restricted him. I want to give you three things this morning. I want you to remember them. Three things that the people of God did in Psalm 78 that put God into lockdown. Three things that you and I may be even guilty of here this morning. The first thing, if you cast your eye to verse 10, the very first thing that limited God was they disobeyed His Word. If you cast your eye to verse 10, it says they kept not the commandment of God and refused to walk in His law. They were disobedient to the Word of God. You know, dear men and women, I can honestly say in the presence of the Lord that this week I have laid in my little study prostrate before God and the prayer of my heart has been, Lord, is there any area of my life that is in opposition to your word? Is there any area of my life whereby I am living in disobedience to your word? Because if I am, I will limit God. I will hinder him from moving even in my family. I'll hinder him from moving in revival power. Lord, is there any area in my life where I am disobedient to the word of God? That was the very first thing that these men and women were guilty of. If you cast your eye to verse 8, keep your Bibles open this morning because we'll be dealing with a lot of these verses. In verse 8 it says they were stubborn and rebellious. That word rebellious is the word disobedient. Now I want to ask you a question again, dear men and women. Is there any area of our lives where we are limiting, restricting God because we are not obeying his word? Bertie has often said it even from this very platform. In 1904, whenever Evan Roberts led that mighty Welsh revival, the one word that he used to cry in those revival meetings was, Obey God. Obey God. Men and women, we can pray, we can even fast, we can weep and howl, but if we don't obey God, we have him in lockdown. We've put him in limitation. We've hindered him from using his power. They disobeyed the word of God. you remember the first miracle that the Lord Jesus performed in the wedding of Cana? It ran out of wine. And the Lord Jesus could have filled the water pots with water himself just with one word. But he told the servants to go and fill the water pots to the brim and then pour them out. And this is what the, his mother said. Mary said to the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto thee, do it. And I want to say to you this morning as a man that has been before the Lord, what is God telling you to do? What has God been laying on your heart to do? Deep down in your soul, that witness of the Spirit, whenever you read the Word of God and you know God's speaking to you and you maybe even resist against it, my dear men and women, disobedience will limit God. Disobedience will limit Him from moving. You know, we're living in a day in Ulster where it was said of the day of judges that every man did that which is right in his own eyes. And I want to say this morning with the eldership of this assembly, there's so many even here this morning, and you're doing that which is right 
in your own eyes. But whenever we submit to the word of God, that's whenever we will get blessing. Whenever we submit ourselves to God, that is whenever he can come in all of his power. In 2 Kings 22, it says, they hearken not to the words of the book. You know, men and women, over the last six, seven months in this assembly, we have had preachers, preachers come and preachers in this pulpit, second to none in Ireland. We have men standing here along with our brother Bertie, and we have been conscious in the meeting that God has been speaking. We've been conscious of that mighty grip in the meetings where God is moving and speaking to our soul. But I wonder how many of us have done anything about it. I wonder how many of us have went home and took that word from God and said, Lord, I will obey. You see, we're intoxicated in Ulster with preachers getting a good word. Get a good word. Oh my, he's a good preacher. Mighty word this morning. Go home into a house, eat our dinner, and forget all about it. But men and women, whenever you and I begin to obey God, John Calvin could say these words, nothing is more fatal than for the children of God to disobey him. Some of you Calvinists here this morning, you say to me that God will do whatever he wants, when he wants, without me. I want to tell you, you read this 41st verse, and you'll discover that we can limit him. We can restrict him. We can hinder God from moving, and there's nothing more fatal to the people of God than for them to disobey the Lord. I'll tell you, whenever we disobey, we lose out. Some of you parents here, you tell your child to do something, they don't do it. You tell them again, they don't do it. You you tell them again and they say, Mommy, Daddy, I'm not going to do it. And then you put them into the naughty corner for a wee bit. You know, dear men and women, whenever we put that on on a vertical level, Between you and I and God, how many of us are like that with him? How many of us go on and, as it says in this 40th verse, they grieved him? You remember Saul? Saul, the first king of Israel, had the anointing of the Spirit upon him. And in the 15th chapter of 1 Samuel, he was to go against the Amalekites. And the Lord told him to slay the king Agag. And all of the oxen and all of the sheep. And whenever Samuel came, this is what Samuel said. He said, what, what meaneth by the bleating of the sheep and the lowing of the cattle that is in my ear? And Saul came out to Samuel and he said, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Saul had all the good cattle and all of the good sheep and he had the, the king spared. He almost obeyed God. My dear men and women this morning, The moment that we get the fear of God back in our lives again. The moment whenever we realize who we are dealing with. The almighty, the all-knowing, the all-seeing one. It's then that we will begin to obey God. You say to me, Stephen, I didn't come to church on this lovely summer's Sunday to hear about this. I'll tell you, dear men and women, how you and I behave at home could hinder your very children from getting saved. How you treat this book could hinder even this very assembly from breaking through the blessing. How you and I handle the words of, word of God could very 
will indeed hinder a move of God even in our own life. Saul almost obeyed God. And Samuel looked at him and he said, Saul, do do you not know that disobedience is as a sin of witchcraft? I tell you, dear men and women, whenever we see disobedience as the very sin of witchcraft, it is then that we will begin to obey God. And one of the most saddest verses in the Holy Scripture says this, and the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. The man that had the anointing, the man that had the power, the man that had the blessing of God upon his life, he lost his authority, he lost the kingdom because he disobeyed God. And the Spirit of the Lord departed from him. And there's maybe even some in this meeting this morning whenever you knew you used to live closer to God. There used to be those times in your life when the Lord was so real, so near. Whenever you prayed, you got answers to your prayer, but all that is gone. My dear men and women, it could be because of disobedience. Saul lost his anointing. Then you remember, of course, Moses. Moses, the mighty man of God, led the children of Israel through the wilderness. Whenever they came to the rock, you remember how the Lord told him to speak to the rock, that the water would come out. Moses got his rod and he was frustrated and he smote the rock. And because of that one act of disobedience, he never got into the blessed land. You say, that's very serious. You say to me, Stephen, God was very severe. Well, I want to say to your men and women, even on the other side of the cross, God has not changed. He's just the same. And I do not care this morning what sphere of disobedience you may be living. But just like Saul, if you disobey, you'll lose the power. And just like Moses, if you disobey, you'll lose the blessing. And you remember the story of the young man of God in First, First Kings chapter 13. He was just a young man. My, the Lord told him to go from Judah to Bethel, to pull down the altar at Bethel. And the king told him to come back to his house. And this is what the young prophet said. He said, I have been charged by the word of the Lord neither to return the same way nor to enter into a house and eat bread. And then there was an old ungodly man came. He was an old carnal believer. And he went home and he went back to the young man. He says, but God has told me you can come back with me. God has told me that you can come back to my house and God hadn't told him anything of the, anything of the sort. And that young man went back and as he was eating in that old ungodly man's house, his very death notice was signed out before. Moses lost a blessing. Saul lost his power. And the young man lost his life. Oh, you say to me, Stephen, God wouldn't kill me, would he not? Would he not? You take your Bible and read 1 Corinthians and you'll find that God did. The sin of disobedience is as a sin of witchcraft. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, you get those mighty blessings that the Lord pours out before the children of Israel. He says, if ye obey me, I will bless you. But if ye disobey me, I will curse you. My dear men and women this morning, you and I so often in the place of prayer, and I'm guilty of it maybe more than you all. Lord, I want the blessing. I want the promises, Lord, even of the Old Testament. But my dear men and women this morning, there's not only blessings there, but there's cursing. 
He said, I will bless you in your home if you obey, but I will curse you in your home if you disobey. I will bless you in the field if you obey, but I will, I will curse you in the field if you disobey. The sin of disobedience. Charles Finney, that mighty man, it was used in a bygone day. He said, revival is nothing less than a new obedience to God. Leonard Ravenhill, that man, it was mightily used and the anointing of God was upon him. He said, it's not more light that we need. It's more obedience to the light that we have. Oh, dear friends, this morning we're oozing with spiritual knowledge. We're bubbling over with scriptural knowledge, doctrines and verses. We're bubbling over with theology. But who in this hall this morning has the power of God resting upon them? Stand to your feet. I'll tell you, dear men and women, one of the reasons why we're barren, dead, powerless and empty is because we're doing exactly what the children of Israel did in Psalm 74. They rebelled against the word. They hardened their heart and stiffened their neck. The apostles could say, we ought to obey God. Obey. Why should we not obey? My dear men and women, why should we not obey when the Son of God left the splendors of heaven? Why should we not obey our Creator and our Savior and our Redeemer whenever He came? And it says in Philippians chapter 2, He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The writer to the book of Hebrews says that he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. He could say, not my will, but thine be done. I have not come to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. My, and from the crown of his head to the sole of his foot, there wasn't one ounce of disobedience in him. Why should we not obey? Why should we not obey him who gave himself for us? Why should we not listen to him and obey him and go through with God whenever he went through for us? Now, I'm going to come close to you this morning. And I'm going to give you some areas in the Word of God where you might be living in disobedience. And as Gilbert said the other Sunday morning, don't shoot the postman. Don't shoot me. In Acts chapter 2, God gave a pattern for the church. You know, dear men and women, one of the most organized organizations in the world is the church. God is not the author of confusion. In the next chapter 2, verse 41 and verse 42, the Lord Jesus Christ set out seven steps for the New Testament church. Seven is the number of perfection. The first step is that they would get saved. That's the very first step. Secondly, they would get baptized. Number two. Third, they were added to the church. And then he goes on and says they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and prayer. Now I want to ask you a question. How many of you have gone through with the seven steps? Come on. How many of you here this morning have gone through with the pattern of the church? Oh, we'll get baptized, Lord. No bother there. 
Oh, oh we'll, 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 we'll come and listen to the doctrine and we'll even come to the prayer meetings. Ah, but dear men and women, it says they were added to the church. Ah, you maybe say, Lord, I'll go this far, but I'm not going to go any farther. And you know what has happened? You've put God in lockdown. Put him in lockdown. Put him in a circle. Say, Lord, you can come this far, but no further. And not only is there some here this morning maybe disobeying the pattern of the church, maybe there's some here this morning that will disobey the command of the Lord. You know what his command was? He said, do this in remembrance of me. I tell you, dear men and women, this morning, one of the most precious things that any believer can do is to remember the one that died for them on the cross. To gather around the table and just to meditate upon the one that shed his precious blood, was crowned with thorns and nailed to the old Roman gibbet hand and foot for me. And I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you to obey God. Because the moment that you do, he's going to put a new blessing upon your life. He'll bless you. Maybe God has spoken to you in your life about restitution. Some area in your life where you need to get right with another brother or sister. And you say, Lord, I'm not going to do it. Lord, I'm not going to go to that other brother and I'm not going to get that sorted out. And you've put a limitation upon God. You've put God into lockdown. Some area of disobedience in the word. Some service that the Lord wants you to go and do. And you say, Lord, I'm not going to do it. I can't do it, Lord. And because of disobedience, God is limited and restricted from moving in blessing and salvation and in revival and even in your own life this morning. I wonder, will you be hearers of the word? Or will you be doers? I was saying it the other night, in the night whenever these dear men and women were getting baptized, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, What a glory he sheds on the way while we do his goodwill. He abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. What's God telling you to do? Maybe I haven't mentioned any of the things that he's telling you to do but you know this morning as you sit in the meeting Lord, you need me to do that. You want me to do it, but I've been fighting. I've been kicking. Whatsoever he saith unto thee, do it. And I'll tell you, dear men and women, the moment that you do it, God will bless you. That's why the baptismal service is one of the most blessed nights in any church, is when men and women obey God. Are you limiting God? Is there any area of, of my life where I'm limiting him? Put a restriction. They limited the Holy One of Israel. Not only did they disobey him secondly and very quickly, not only did they disobey his word, they doubted his ways. If you cast your eye to verse 19, and let's read it together. Verse 19 of Psalm 78. And it says, Yea, they speak against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can God give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? 
Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came against Israel, because they believed not in God, nor trusted in him. Verse 32, it says, In all these things they sinned still, and believed not God. I wonder, is there some of us in this assembly are guilty of limiting him because we don't believe him? Oh, we believe that he could do mighty things in a bygone day. We believe that he could move in revival blessing in a bygone day, but we don't believe it today. We believe that God could intervene in the Old Testament and even in the Acts of the Apostles, but many of us have lost that expectation in our very soul this morning. Oh, would to God that we would believe him again. You know, there's some people in the say that there's some souls that God can't save. And you know the very, the very terminology they use? Limited atonement. I tell you, dear men and women this morning, if you want to limit God, go on ahead. But the Lord Jesus said, Whosoever cometh to me, I will in no wise cast him. I'm glad that he didn't limit me. I'm glad that day away down on the other side of listening to skis, smoking a regal filter. I'm glad he didn't lock me out. I'm glad he didn't put a circle around Stephen Riddle and say, Stephen, I'm not going to save you. I'm glad that he's not only a loving saviour and a lifting saviour. I'm glad he's a living saviour. Are you not glad he didn't limit you? Are you not glad that he called you out of darkness into light? Are you not glad this morning you're not in the pub or the old bookie shop all because of the mercy and the love and the power of God? Oh, dear men and women, let not only we be men and women that obey him, but let us be people that believe him. Believe him. Mine, the little village in Nazareth where the Lord Jesus lived in the carpenter's shop, it says he did not many, many, many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Forty years in the wilderness. Death after death, walking round Kadesh Barnea, God gave them manna from heaven. Read the chapter whenever you go home. Water out of the rock. It says that men did eat angels' food. He fed them, he led them, but they did not trust him. Trust him. I wonder, do you trust him this morning? Some of you parents in this hall, and you've got a family situation. Some of you mothers, and you're battling at home. Some of you fathers, and you're battling in the workplace. I want to tell you, trust him. Trust him. Trust him. My, you could trust him with your soul. You can trust him with your sin. Let us trust him with our circumstances. Let's trust him with the storms of life. You see, in verse 19, it says, Can God... I wonder, is that what you're saying in your life? Oh, I wonder, can God save my boy? I wonder, can God move into my home? I wonder, can God use me? But you know, if you turn those two words around another way, you'll get the answer. God can. Hallelujah. God can save your boy. God can move in revival blessing in Ireland. God can move in mighty power in the lifeboat fellowship at the river, the hill, and the valley. God is still the same. Oh, let's not limit him this morning. Let's bring God out of lockdown. Let him use all of his power in the park tonight. Let us see what God can do. Oh, friend, I'm hungry to see what God can do. Thank God for the men and women of a bygone day. But the prayer of our hearts should be, Lord, what you've done before, 
Do it again, Lord. Do it again. Oh, let us believe him. God can. You remember Abraham? Ah, he was an old man. Some of you men here today, you only think you're old. Abraham was a hundred. No children. And Lord, give him a word. Says Abraham, I'm going to bless the loins, your own seed out of your own loins. And it says that Abraham believed God. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Does God give you a promise? Our brother Bertie's got a promise for this assembly. Do you think God's not going to keep it? I want to tell you God's going to keep it. God's going to keep it. There's the early, early rain. But I want to tell you some night the latter rain's going to come. Because God's as good as his word. Oh, dear men and women, I have made many a promise and I've broke many more. But every promise that God has given is yea and amen. Oh, for your family, for your health, for your work. Believe him. Put your trust in him. Jesus, I will trust thee. Trust without a doubt that whosoever cometh thou wilt not cast out. Faithful is thy promises. Precious is thy blood. These my soul's salvation, now my Savior God. Trust him. You know, Jackie Pollinger was telling the young people here the last night in the barn, Jackie Pollinger was saved at 21 years of age. Whenever she was 22, she had a mighty burden for souls. The Lord seemed to tell her every time she was reading to go, go. Maybe he's telling you that, go. Jackie Pollinger went to missionary society after one after another, and every single one of them refused her. Says you need to do five years in college. She says, millions are dying. I don't have five years. I need to go. Jackie Pollinger with 10 pounds in her pocket, just 10 pounds, 22 years of age, got onto a boat on the south of England and said, Lord, wherever the ticket runs out, I'm going to get out. Jackie Pollinger, 22, with no biblical scriptural knowledge that you and I have, got off on the shore of Hong Kong, went into the Wall City, a jurisdiction where there's no police, no law, And she went in among 30,000 of the drug addicts and prostitutes and murderers. And Jackie Pollinger won thousands of them to the Lord. You know why? She believed her God. She didn't put her trust in theology. She put her trust in God. Oh, friend, this morning, trust him. Trust him. William Carey. William Carey, the cobbler, went into the Baptist. And whenever he's a minister in the Baptist, the Lord told him to go out into the foreign field. And he stood up one day in a big committee meeting in the Baptist. And he says, we need to get out, men. We need to get out to the heathen. And one old dead Baptist ministry says, Mr. Carey, sit down and shut up. If God's going to save the heathen, he'll not need you, nor will he tell you that he's going to do it. William Carey got his stuff together with his little family and headed away to India and seen one of the mighty moves of God. You know why, dear men and women, he believed him. I'm glad that the two women in the Isle of Lewis believe God. I'm glad those two women that were nearly blind and deaf laid hold of the horns of the altar and seen a move of God. I'm glad the four young men up in Kells, some of you dear men from Kells this morning, oh, they laid hold of God and seen thousands saved. Evan Roberts, 13 years of age, just 13, God told him to pray four hours a day for revival in Wales. He prayed for 13 years till he was 26. On his 26th year, 13 years later, he says, Lord, give me, uh, give me wheels for one year and I'll, I'll give you my life. And he's seen a th- hundred thousand souls saved in one year. You know why? He believed God. Step out in the promise. Get under the blood, friends. We have a long to go. 
We're in the last lap. This is the last generation. I believe it with all my heart. Someday the trumpet's going to sound. There's millions still need to hear the gospel. Go. Go. I'm glad there was a few men in our man in the 1980s believe God. I'm glad whenever there's a wee portable hall come up to the corner. I'm glad that the Bertie and Pat and Barkley believe God. I'll tell you, dear men, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't be here and I wouldn't be here if they hadn't. God's as good as his word. But I wonder, are you limiting him? Are you limiting God? Am I? Because we don't believe him. The cry of the apostles was, Lord, increase our faith. Believe him for your children. Believe him for your work. Trust him for your health. And let's put God out of lockdown. Finally, not only did they disobey his word and not only did they doubt his, wor- doubt his ways, finally they despised his worth. If you cast your eye to the 57th verse, and with this we close, it says, but turned back and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful bow. They provoked him to anger with their high places and they moved him to jealousy with their graven image. Wherefore God heard this, he was wroth and greatly abhorred Israel. You know, dear men and women, what Israel was guilty of? They were guilty of losing their first love. Now I'm closed. Do you remember whenever Gilbert stood here the other Sunday morning? And he talked about losing our first love. I'm sure every one of us are spoken to. And here in these verses, in these last verses in 57 to 59, what Israel had done is they had forgotten what God had done for them. And they got their eyes onto idols. Maybe your idol's your work. Maybe your idol's your family. Maybe your idol is your money. Some of you men here this morning, you'd rather go out in that car park and talk about your kettle and talk about God. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Some people hear you and you'd maybe rather far talk about your fashion or your popularity and it's become an idol in your life. And just like these men and women in Psalm 78, they put God into lockdown. They limited the Holy One of Israel. They restricted Him. They hindered him from moving, and it says he was moved to jealousy. Who in this meeting is limiting God? Who is it? Limiting him because of disobedience to his word? Limiting him because we doubt his ways? Limiting him because we deny him worship? You remember Mary? Only a wee stump of a woman. She came in one day with a little alabaster box in her hand. And the Lord was sitting in the house in Bethany and she took the alabaster box and she broke it and she poured the oil upon his head and she got down at his feet. And you know what she did? She worshipped. She worshipped. You know that's what we're going to do now. We're going to worship. Whenever we gather around this table, we come with our alabaster box of praise and worship and we break it and we give it all to him. Worship. And there's some of you here this morning, you're not going to do it. 
Oh, I would encourage you this morning, friend, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Bring God out of lockdown. Obey him. Trust him. Worship him. Amen. Let us bow in a moment of prayer. Friends, may we not be hearers of the word, but may we also be doers. And if there's things that we need to get right, may we do it. Thank God he's willing and ready to bless us. Thank God this morning, while we have failed and faltered and fallen short many, many times before, we thank God that he's full of compassion and mercy. Father, we praise thee this morning for your word. We thank you this morning for the reality, O oh God, that thou art able to do whatsoever you please. And we pray this morning, Lord, this preacher included, Lord, that every one of us will bring God out of lockdown. My, may, may, may we let thee do whatever you want to do in this corner. Lord, we want to go really through with God. We want to do business with God. We want to see these promises that thou hast given fulfilled. Oh, God, this morning, if there's any area of disobedience in our life, small though it may be and insignificant in our sight, may we obey thee. Oh, may we obey. Lord, if there's any area of doubt or unbelief, we pray, Lord, that you'll take it away. Oh, fill our hearts like Stephen of old with faith to believe God. And Lord, may we worship thee like never before. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.